The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers. Gratitude goes out to you today for listening to Eco Radio KC on 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. This is a locally made exploration into positive solutions to some of today's ecological challenges for all of us working to create a healthier future for our communities and for the world you live in. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. My name is Darnell. Today on Eco Radio KC, host Brent Ragsdale visits the University of Kansas's Department of Geography and Atmospheric Science to interview assistant teaching professor Dr. Kinjion Jean about his contribution to the recent paper by Dr. James Hansen and colleagues entitled Global Warming in the Pipeline. According to Dr. Hansen, Dr. Gene expertise in aerosol climate interactions, specifically related to shipping emissions and his calculations of the geographical distribution of the sulfate aerosols of the shipping industry was one of the key inputs in the scientific story presented in the pipeline paper. Brent also visits with Dr. David Rand, Associate Professor and Department's Director of Graduate Studies about the undergraduate and graduate program in atmospheric science at KU. This will be a great hour full of vital information for our planet. Climate science reveals the threat of being too late, a term which refers not only to warming of the climate threat, but also to technical advice on policy implications. In this hour of Eco Radio KC, Brent speaks with professionals with deep understanding of planetary change to tell the public their full and unencumbered diagnosis. We are all in this together, and it will take all of us to make the world safe for human habitation for millennia to come. We at Eco Radio KC are glad to encourage awareness and protection of our world. Our goal is to ensure our listeners are aware of how we can create a sustainable present for a sustainable future. This will be a great radio hour. Now our show. Okay, welcome to Eco Radio KC. I'm Brent Ragsdale. Today I am on the campus of KU in the Department of Geography and Atmospheric Science in the office of Professor Quijan Jin. Do I say your name right? Yeah. Quijan, mm-hmm. uh, thank you very much for agreeing to, to the interview. It's, it's my pleasure to uh, talk about our new uh, paper. Yes. So yeah, what brought me to, to your office, I've been following the work of Dr. James Hansen for many years, and I, and I saw that he had a new paper out called Global Warming in the Pipeline. And I, and I looked at the list of the co-authors, and lo and behold, there was one from the University of Kansas, 15 miles away from where I live. And so I thought, well, I better go and meet this man and uh, see if I can do an interview. So thank you very much for agreeing to do that. It's my pleasure. All right. So you started to tell me about where, where you grew up in China. Tell, tell me that again. That's an interesting story. Yeah, of course. Uh, so I was born in a small village in the central part of China. And uh, the, my hometown is not far from uh, the city of Xi'an, where we have the uh, terracotta warrior. And uh, uh, also, not, uh, about several miles to the south of my hometown, we have a very big mountain, Qingli Mountain. That mountain divided the, the channel into uh, the south part and north part. Uh, yeah, I see. So I've seen the terracotta um, warriors pictures. It looks like a very interesting place to, yeah. to go and visit. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so what's your background? Where did you go to, to school? I, I see uh, you, you have a doctorate, so you're a doctor, Jin. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So actually, uh, I got my college degree uh, from Lanzhou University. Uh, my major is a computer science, and after that, I transferred my major to atmospheric science and uh, went to the, uh, the United States to pursue my PhD degree. 
2015, I got I earned my PhD degree from the University of Texas and Austin. Um, yeah. All right. And how long have you been at KU? Uh, I joined KU at, in 2019, so about four years. Yeah, right before COVID hit. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a strange experience <laughs> for all of us. And your title is lecturer and academic program associate. So okay. what does that what does that entail? Do you have students? Uh, basically, basically, I do not have a student, but I co-advise students, uh, grad students with the professors in this department. Uh, and uh, my title uh, is just uh, updated to uh, assistant teaching professor. So my main goal at the department is uh, teaching and research. Uh, like I teach about two, uh, four courses every year, uh, including both uh, other grand uh, student courses and grand student courses. And, uh, and, and to the other side, I also have a uh, job responsibility to uh, performing research. Okay, and it was your research into the, the effects of shipping that uh, got you noticed by Dr. Hansen and his team, I understand. Uh, tell, yeah. tell me about how, how you got to, to be a part of that paper. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Hansen invited me to be a co-author on this paper mainly uh, because uh, we published a paper uh, relating the international shipping emission and uh, its climate impact in 2018, uh, when I was a postdoc at uh, MIT in uh, Massachusetts. So in that paper, uh, we qualified the cloud radiative effects uh, induced by the reduction of marine shipping sulfur content uh, from 3.5% to 0.5%. So basically speaking, uh, the International Marine Organization set restrictions on the marine shipping fuel. So they reduced uh, the sulfur content in the shipping fuel uh, to a lower standard. So the, so this new regulation will cause reduction in sulfur uh, emissions over ocean. And we know that sulfur aerosols are very efficient cloud nuclei. So it's necessary uh, for us to have sulfate in the atmosphere to form cloud. With less sulfur emissions, we expect to uh, have le uh, less clouds, less cloud nuclei, and uh, uh, less and also less uh, cloud uh, number uh, concentration in the atmosphere. And uh, with a fewer cloud, we, the Earth receives more solar radiation, so that uh, can cause potential global warming. Yeah. So let me make sure that I understand it, and maybe. That will help the, the, the listeners understand it as well. So the, the shipping fuels that we use, which are the kind of the heavy end of the hydrocarbons, yes. oftentimes have the sulfur contaminant in them. Mm -hmm. And so the practice for many years was that in, when they were out, the big ships were out at sea, they could burn the really dirty fuel that had sulfur and then made sulfur dioxide as a Correct. byproduct. Mm -hmm. And so the, this organization decided to tighten the regulations and they've kind of notched that down, I think, at 2015 and then 2020, they made yes. it even tighter. Mm -hmm. And you said they went from allowing 3.5% sulfur down to only half a percent sulfur. Yes, yeah. And I know there's a lot of talk about uh, putting sulfur into the atmosphere purposefully as a, as a geoengineering kind of solution, but that would be into the high atmosphere. Yeah, in the stratosphere. Into the stratosphere. And that has an effect of reducing the amount of light that, that makes it through the atmosphere to the Earth, if you did that kind of geoengineering. Is mm -hmm. that correct? Yeah, so the, if we put more sulfur, uh, sulfur air, uh, sulfate aerosols in the stratosphere, so that aerosol will reflect more solar radiation to space reducing the solar radiation reaching surface and uh, uh, finally causing a cooling impact on Earth's climate. Yes, but that would be something that would eventually rain out or, or fall out and so you'd have to keep doing that. J just like the ships yeah. used to put in a lot mm -hmm. of sulfur. Correct. But you're saying that there is a cooling effect, a direct cooling effect from the sulfur from the shipping, but the bigger effect was the fact that it made particles 
that gave nucleation sites, which is, means that it's a particle that cloud droplets could form on in the middle of the ocean to make it more cloudy and then reflect more light. Correct. Okay, I, I think I've got it. Yeah. All right, so I, I've read through Dr. Hansen's paper, but can, can you kind of tell, tell about that paper? I, I think this, this mm -hmm. study, your, your paper, was a key bit of it, but um, kind of tell us about the whole paper in general. Yeah, like the, there are, I think there are three main findings of this paper. The first, uh, the first is that uh, uh, we updated the climate sensitivity. Uh, this is a variable very important for us to project uh, uh, future warming due to uh, the increase of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. So the previous estimate of climate sensitivity is about three degrees Celsius. However, in the in this paper, we updated this value to 4.8. That's a huge increase. And the second finding is that the 1.5 degree warming set that this goal set in the 2015 Paris Agreement will be will be broken very soon. So we we expected that the this uh, 1.5 degree warming goal will will be exceed exceeded in next a few years, and uh, the two degree will be exceeded uh, by 2050. That uh, so that's mainly due to the acceleration of global warming. Uh, we found uh, uh, due to the reduction of aerosol emissions, and uh, the last. Uh, the last one is that uh, uh, during the past decade, we see acceleration, uh, a rapid acceleration of global warming uh, with a rate of about 0.27 degree uh, Celsius per decade. And uh, this value is uh, only about 0.18 degree Celsius per decade uh, uh, between, y, uh, between 1970 and uh, 2010. So, those are the three main findings in this paper, and uh, I think they are very important for, for us to, okay. to, to, to make so, note of that. So the, the, the first one you talked about, the, the climate sensitivity. So this, is, this means that if, if we were to double the amount of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, or I guess CO2 specifically, yeah. then it talks about what would be the ultimate temperature that increase, would be, yeah, would be like increased. A, yeah, like uh, how much temperature will increase if we double CO2 in the atmosphere. Uh, we use this variable to quantify how, 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 how sensitive our climate sy system to the increase of uh, CO2. Yes. Yeah. So the, the general consensus is about 3 degrees Celsius. Yeah. And Dr. Hansen and this team, your findings are more like 4.8 degrees Celsius. Is that what you said? Yes. So based on uh, the paleoclimate data, we updated uh, the, this value to 4.8. Yes. And I understand that there's kind of a, a bit of a controversy around this, uh, different camps of, of what people think might be the, the right reason, the hypothesis, which is pretty typical for science mm -hmm. to to state something and then try to refute it and have other people you know looking at your data and and trying to make sure that it's that it's correct so what are some of the reasons that you your team got to that conclusion you know specifically around the 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 changes that happened with the the, the shipping regulations and the, and the sulfur content uh so uh, you, you mean about the climate sensitivity? Yes, about the sensitivity. Yeah, this is a topic that long be investigated, and during the past several decades, um, this value is not has not been updated uh, for a very long time. For example, the the first climate sensitivity sensitivity estimate. Uh, uh, was made in 1979, and this value has not been updated during the past several decades. And uh, for example, in RPCC assessment five, the value the value for climate sensitivity is still three, three degrees Celsius. 
uh, however, based on newly uh, new, newly found, founded uh, retrieved data, uh, especially from paleoclimate data, this value has been updated to 4.8. And also, the value of climate sensitivity in RPCC report is much lower than the 4.8 degrees Celsius. One reason I think is that uh, uh, the RPCC report is try to make a very conservative conclusions that can be accepted by all the nations. Yes. So part of the paper talks about the Earth's energy imbalance and the fact that in the last 10 years it seems to have doubled. Can you explain what the Earth's energy imbalance is and how that's measured? Sure. So we use Earth's energy imbalance, which is defined as the net gain, energy gain uh, by the planet. So it's calculated as the difference between the absorbed solar radiation and uh, the emitted thermal radiation by the planet to, the, to space. So uh, for example, if we have a positive Earth's energy imbalance, that means our planet will get hotter and hotter. So we use this uh, variable uh, to quantify how much uh, extra e energy we, the planet receive. Uh, it's uh, mm, because of the reduction in aerosol emissions. Actually, during the past decade, uh, the Earth receives more solar radiation. So th this will because less is being reflected, so yeah. more is being absorbed. Yeah, more is absorbed, so we. Uh, have a higher Earth uh, or greater Earth energy imbalance that will cause the uh, a higher rate of global warming. Okay. And as as we know that, uh, um, so why reason for reduction in aerosol emissions is the sh from shipping and other reasons as is that uh, a lot there are a lot of more and more uh, countries in Asia they set up their own clear air acts to reduce the impacts of air pollutants. Right. So that's uh, another reason for yes. reduction. Yeah. So just to explain this in the language that makes sense to me, let, let me say that how I think it works and tell me if I'm right. <laughs> um, so, so the sun gives off its energy to us mm -hmm. and it's, it's dependent really just on the distance that we are from the sun. Yeah. And the, the average distance of the moon is also the same as the Earth from mm -hmm. the sun. Yeah. But the moon has no atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So as it slowly rotates, one side gets hot and the dark side is cold. Yeah. And if you do the calculations on how hot the Earth should be, without an atmosphere, it would be very much colder yeah. on average. Mm -hmm. Correct. So, and, but because we have an atmosphere, we trap some of the some of the heat mm -hmm. and the way that works the visible light comes through the atmosphere mm -hmm. and then it heats up the surface of the earth which then radiates as a long wave radiation mm -hmm. and it's the long wave radiation that can be trapped by the greenhouse gases by carbon dioxide yes. and methane and things like that okay yeah like the main difference in earth's temperature and the moon's temperature is due to the greenhouse gases yes yeah so if you calculate how much um, energy is coming to the earth from the sun, mm -hmm. it's, is it like 340 watts in, on every square meter? Is yeah. that correct? Yes. And so you're saying this doubling um, in the last 10 years of this imbalance is just basically one more watt. Mm -hmm. So from 340 to 341, yeah. <laughs> just, okay. just a very slight amount, but yeah. because there are so many square meters on mm -hmm. the earth, mm -hmm. it then, so, so how, how black body radiation works, uh, how, how anything works, is that it, it has to then heat up until it's the right temperature mm -hmm. to radiate the same amount and be in equilibrium. Mm -hmm. And so we're waiting sort of now, we've got this forcing because we're trapping more, uh -huh. and so the Earth is gonna have to heat up mm -hmm. for decades or centuries until it's in equilibrium again. Do, do I have that basically right? Yeah, c correct. Uh, so as long as we so as long as we get uh, so no, no let me put it in this way before the Earth's climate system get to its equilibrium state, our due to the increase of greenhouse gases, 
uh, the planet's temperature will keep rising. And I was a little unclear from reading the paper or the abstract from the paper. Mm -hmm. Do you think ultimately that with the amount of greenhouse gases and energy imbalance that we have now, mm -hmm. would, it, would it increase to 4.8 or would it increase to 10? Because I saw also that mm -hmm. the paper said that it would increase to 10 centimeters, and I, or 10 degrees Celsius, I mean. And I, I wasn't sure which was the right uh, answer. Do you know? This is a good question. <laughs> I, um, I don't know I have a good answer for this question. <laughs> Yeah, I might, uh, I might email Dr. Henson. I, yeah. I, I know he's very busy, but at your request, I let him know that we were doing this interview, and he, mm -hmm. and he graciously replied, even though right now his COP is happening, and I think he's getting lots of requests from big media all around the world. But mm -hmm. he had a very nice thing to say about you. He said, Quinjon's research, specifically his calculation of the geographical distribution of shipping's surface aerosols was one of the key inputs in the science story that we put together. So I think he holds you in really high regard, which is nice. Dr. Hansen also posts, um, I don't know what you call them, I think he calls them like communications. They're, they're like white papers, but they're not peer reviewed that he puts out, basically like a, like a, mm -hmm. a climate blog <laughs> that he does from his website at Columbia University. Yeah, I think it's good to just call it a communication. A communication, yeah. yes, not a paper. Uh, All right. No. <laughs> In some of his recent ones, he's been talking about this paper and kind of um, answering the criticism from some of the other scientists who, who think perhaps uh, the, the, the findings with the, the Earth's um, sensitivity being so much higher than the agreed upon three mm -hmm. uh, degrees. Mm -hmm. Uh, Celsius is maybe too much. So I think if, if viewers want to really dig into this, you could go and, and do a, a, a web search for Dr. Hansen mm -hmm. and uh, find, his, find his site on columbia.edu. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, another thing that Dr. Hansen seems to always include in his papers is his concern for the future and for the the young people that we're going to be handing this uh, problem off to, you know. Mm -hmm. he, he's, he's working now on a book that entitled uh, Sophie's Planet, yeah. Sophie being his oldest grand, uh -huh. granddaughter. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that he's, he really sees this as not being fair to the people to come that we're going to be giving them this, these challenges. Mm -hmm. So I think that what you're doing by advising graduate students in the College of Atmospheric Science to really learn this and help communicate this I think is really good. Mm -hmm. Do, does this what keeps you going? Is it, does this motivate you? Yeah, I um, as a professor, assistant professor, I always feel excited to teach my students uh, not only about global warming but also the basic knowledge or mechanism behind those uh, atmospheric or atmospheric phenomena or the uh, climate uh, uh, climate change. So as I uh, in each semester I teach one introductory uh, class to atmospheric science. So in that class I teach a lot uh, a lot of uh, like basics ideas about uh, about the, our weather phenomena such as uh, uh, pressure, temperature, humidity, how those variables influence or help form the clouds, uh, um, cyclones, as well as uh, um, uh, extreme precipitations. And with those basic knowledge, students can like pursue their um, unanswered questions in related, related to atmospheric size. I really uh, feel that uh, this is an important job for our as a meteorologist or climatologist to uh, educate to educate the next generation for them to understand how not only the basic uh, mechanisms related to climate and also how global warming or how the glo the global mean temperature will change in the future and what we can do 
to mitigate uh, the impact, the uh, adverse impact of global warming. Um, so global warming is uh, it's a very urgent problem for for not only us but all but more urgent for the for our next generation. So I hope they can make make their right decision uh, in the future regarding the uh, policies to curb the impacts of global warming. Yeah, excellent. Well, Professor Jin, thank you very much for your time. This has been educational for me, and I hope that our listeners got something out of it. And um, I'm going to be talking with one of your colleagues about the program more specifically at the, the, the atmospheric sciences uh, classes here. And I may excerpt a little bit of the press conference where Dr. Hansen and some of the other uh, co-authors um, mm -hmm about a month ago I uh, talked about the paper you know just to try to make this as clear as we can but thank you very much again thank you for having me if you have any question I'm very happy to exchange through emails okay thank you Bye -bye. thank you Give the gift they will talk about for years to come. A KKFI guest DJ certificate, a one-time donation of $200, or a monthly sustaining donation of $16.67 will get your loved one an hour to share their musical taste on the local music program of their choice. A board operator will be provided. They will even get a recording of their DJ experience. Go to kkfi.org and click on the donation button or call 816-931-3122 for more information. KKFI is now posting new and improved content every day to our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Be sure to like and follow your community radio station on social media at KKFI 901 FM. And thanks for supporting KKFI since 1988. Okay, welcome back to Eco Radio KC. We are talking about cutting-edge climate science that's taking place right here in our area. I'm on the campus of the University of Kansas in the Department of Geography and Atmospheric Sciences. So I'm in uh, Dr. David Ron's office, and you've agreed to talk with me about the program in general. And, sure. Yeah. yeah, great. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, happy to be here. <laughs> All right. So your function here in a in addition to being an associate professor, is also to be the director of graduate studies. Yes. So yeah. what, what does that entail? Yeah, so um, we have a lot of graduate students, uh, so pursuing both the master's in science um, and also um, PhD as well, so the doctorate level. Many of our students are either, well, almost all of them actually, are either graduate teaching. Uh, um, yeah, so they're either graduate teaching um, assistants or they're uh, graduate research assistants. Obviously, either they're teaching or helping us do our, our research. Um, so basically trying to ensure that all the paperwork is done on time um, and that they're being treated fairly and also being helped um, as far as the um, mentorship um, by the advisors. Um, and so that's like the main role. Um, and also to kind of recognize, especially with awards and whatnot, for you know, good teaching and good research um, to really you know, help them along the way. Oh, nice. About how many graduate students do you have at any given time? I don't know right off the top of my head, but I think we have about probably about 30 or so. Yeah, that's what I would have um, guessed. Yeah. yeah. So it varies year to year. So during COVID, it was shrunk a lot yeah. <laughs> just because we didn't have, you know, have a lot of resources to take on new students, especially with online classes, and there was a lot of disruption to the, to the program, yeah. um, which is not uncommon across the U.S. during that time. Sure. So. Yeah, Dr. Jin said that he started in 2019, so yeah, right, right, right at the beginning of the COVID. <laughs> so let, let's back up. To tell, sure. tell me a little bit about yourself yeah. and your background. So, so you are from the U.S. Yeah, Where'd so you grow up? Um, I'm originally from Wisconsin, okay. um, so around Lake Geneva area. Um, and I went to uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison. Um, originally not for meteorology. I was going to be either an engineer or a business major. Um, but that was extremely boring. <laughs> so uh, I actually ended up taking some uh, intro to, to weather, intro to meteorology courses at, uh, at uh, Wisconsin and really liked it. And then took another one and another one and then just decided I'll give this a shot for a major instead of the, the business or engineering um, because it was really interesting um, to me. Yeah. So I ended up getting a, an undergraduate um, degree in atmospheric and oceanic studies, so that program had actually both um, in there, so oceanographers and atmospheric scientists. 
Um, and then from there, I was really interested in um, continuing uh, education. I was thinking about being a weather forecaster, but um, I didn't uh, really like shift work, um, which is where you have to work overnight, and, 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 and that wasn't really my thing. Yeah, I can see um, that. But I really like the, uh, the research side of it. So I ended up, um, you know, especially the, the observational side, um, because in our field we do a lot of simulations on the computer, but we also need observations to verify that the models are actually performing as, you know, like reality is. Yeah. Um, so I ended up going to the University of Wyoming uh, to pursue a master's. Um, at first, and we did a lot of stuff with aircraft data. So we have a, re or, you know, at the Wyoming we had a research aircraft, so we could fly around and measure temperature and wind and pressure and humidity and cloud stuff. Um, and so I ended up doing that for my master's and stayed on for my PhD, working a lot with observations in conjunction with numerical simulations. Um, and so, you know, in our field, it's really important to have the theory, which is kind of the underlying physics having observations and the simulations um, because you need all of those things that are all saying the same thing to really understand something about how the atmosphere works um, and also be able to predict it um, both on kind of just regular forecasting scales um, but also kind of this whole climate scale to a lot longer scales. Yeah. Um, and then from there, I ended up going to um, the University of Chile. Um, <laughs> Interesting. Where, um, so just to back up a little bit, so even though I was in like Wisconsin and Wyoming, my um, kind of graduate level work was a lot about coastal meteorology. So how the air, especially on the coast of California, right over the ocean, um, how that, um, you know, how you get maximum of wind, because there's a really strong, it's called a low-level jet that's along the California coast. Mm -hmm. um, so really strong winds, uh, especially in the warm season, so the spring and the summer. Um, and so what I did was, you know, I had some projects where I flew an aircraft uh, in Northern California around Cape Mendocino, um, getting those observations to understand that low-level flow and how it's deformed by Cape Mendocino, which kind of sticks out into that, to that marine flow. Um, and produces, you know, really strong changes of wind speed over a small area. Um, and that in turn kind of played into ocean dynamics where um, different wind speeds have a different kind of wind stress. So they kind of push the ocean in different directions, which has a response within the ocean itself. And so there was this really cool ocean-atmosphere interaction that they both kind of couple and feedback on each other. Yeah. Um, but I, I've been transitioning from, from that um, to more local... Um, um, issues, right? Um, and so using my kind of knowledge and expertise and how the um, in, you know, land in this case or ocean interacts with the atmosphere, um, I actually have gotten really interested in um, urban areas and the urban boundary layer mm -hmm. um, and also the urban sort of heat, the island. heat island effect. Yep, kind of exactly. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and so the physics is, you know, the same, right? Mm -hmm. But it's just instead of having ocean, you have a really interesting kind of urban area with different mm -hmm. building types and, you know, you have parks interspersed within that landscape. Um, and so it also has really, you know, important impacts on, on health and, and heat stress. And that's especially sure. with the um, kind of background temperatures increasing over time. Right. And then you layer on this this urban heat island effect at a local scale and it really compounds that that background climate change yeah. um, locally. Yeah. Um, well I could geek out on that for the yeah. rest of our time, but I think we better switch gears and talk about your program. Yes. Yeah. So you've got undergrads also yes. here yep. in the in the Department of Atmospheric Sciences mm -hmm. and you're and you're together with geography. Correct, yep. So do you have students that are geography students as well that you mm -hmm. that you advise? Yeah, it's kind of interesting, the, the history of atmospheric science and meteorology. Um, a lot of places started in geography programs. Um, so at the time, like, atmospheric science as a discipline was really kind of related to climatology and, and um, very geographical. Um, and some of the, the kind of classic um, climate classifications are, are from geographers way back in the day. Um, and so, yeah, there's various programs in the U.S. that are, are, that are there. Um, and so there's a lot of connections with geography as a discipline. Um, and so our undergrads, we, we have two distinct programs. Um, it's the geography undergrad uh, and the atmospheric science undergrad. And, and there's a lot of, you know, kind of relationship between those. Um, but our atmospheric science program follows um, 
the federal guidelines, so basically the criteria that you know you you have to follow to be accredited for for an atmospheric science program, and also the our society, the American Meteorological Society, um, we have these criteria that to be a kind of a, a traditional four year program, we we all follow that that kind of guideline. So we have the strict. We have to take Calc one, two, three. Take part, you know differential equations and and thermodynamics and dynamics and all, all these different requirements. Um, and so we follow that, but there's a lot of stuff that, you know, we lean out with the geography side, which is a lot more of the human environment interactions. And so our department has a lot of connections, especially when we talk about research and that sort of a thing, because um, the traditional atmospheric science is all about the physics and the, the dynamics and the thermodynamics. But more and more, you have to relate that to human impacts, right? Um, and that's where the most impactful science really comes from is, yeah, we can do all the physics, but then also how does that impact, you know, people, right? Whether economically through um, economic geography or health geographies, um, you know, vector-borne diseases, that is yeah. a climate change thing, but it's also, you know, this kind of relationship between the biology um, and the, the physical kind of parts of the environment. Yeah, I noticed that the environmental science yep. department is right here. Correct. Yeah, we're all affiliates with that too. Okay. Um, and so there's a lot of um, kind of interactions between all of these different um, disciplines, which the more and more you do these things, the more connections that you actually see. Because, you know, as much as we like to call ourselves one thing, everything is connected and we, we have to lean on other disciplines um, to actually advance. Yeah, and, and I had a question, you know, that I sent you that because it seems like from an outside perspective, your your areas of focus are so narrow and specific. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I'm glad to hear that you've got mechanisms within your program to mm -hmm. broaden everybody's view of mm -hmm. how what you're doing to forward the science fits into what mankind needs and the biosphere needs and yeah. everything else. That's great. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like we, we are all trained, we have our specific areas. Um, but you know, kind of related back to the graduate studies is that you know we, to do a, a PhD, to get a doctorate, you have to do a, what's called a comprehensive exam, right? And so the name is comprehensive, so you have to know a lot about your, your discipline, in addition to your specific area of research. Um, and so, you know, part of the, the role of that um, is, is, you know, the graduate program that, that makes sure that people have that, that broad base to be able to communicate with other people within your discipline, which is a, atmospheric science is a very broad discipline. There's a lot of people doing a lot of different things under that, that kind of large umbrella of atmospheric science, whether it's climate or land-atmosphere interactions or, you know, cloud microphysics, um, large-scale dynamics. And so you have to have that. Um, and so we, you know, on paper we look like specialists, but we also have this broad background that's required of, of our discipline and scientists in general. Yeah. So is KU known specifically for any particular types of research? I haven't seen that much modeling in the, yeah. in the, the professors that I looked at their mm -hmm. CVs and things online, trying to yeah. find someone to talk to. <laughs> I, I saw a lot yeah. more, you know, cloud interaction, mm -hmm. dust interaction, mm -hmm. aerosols yeah. interactions. Yeah, so um, there's kind of a, this didn't happen by like design, but it kind of happened by chance that a lot of us are actually um, specialists in the lower atmosphere through different perspectives um, and different mechanisms too. A lot of us do observations and modeling. Um, so you mentioned like the cloud stuff. Um, so Dave Meacham, mm -hmm. he does a lot of um, low level clouds, marine stratocumulus, right? So these yeah. are the clouds in that, that lowest level um, with both observations from aircraft, like I was talking about like how I did this mm -hmm. other stuff before, um, and also with um, uh, large eddy simulations. And so, um, so he integrates those two. And then uh, Nate Brunsell is another person here who does a lot of um, you know, biometeorology, you can call it that, um, looking at the interaction in the lowest part of the atmosphere between plants, different kind of phenologies of plants and how that relates to, you know, moisture transport, heat transport. Um, but again, it's lower atmosphere. You know, yeah. I'm also interested in urban areas and how that interacts, like the, you know, a parking lot, what kind of heat does that add to the atmosphere? Yeah. So we actually have this, you know, 
kind of come and link with, oh, there's a lot of stuff going in the lower atmosphere, and we all kind of are in that area instead of way up there in the, the higher areas. Um, but that's kind of what a lot of us do from different perspectives. And we've all, and we've worked together on papers and lots of other things, because we specialize, yeah, but we also know that you link it to other parts and, and it becomes more interesting. Yeah. Just reading through the, the Hansen paper, the global warming mm -hmm. in, the, in the pipeline paper, and then seeing some of the reactions from the other scientists, you know, yeah. that are sort of pushing back on his, you know, <laughs> idea that, that maybe the sensitivity is higher than what, you know, people are, are normally thinking. Mm -hmm. It seems like there is a lot of opportunity, you know, to, to, to do really meaningful research. Yes. It, is that one of the draws? What, what brings people to your program? What, what are... Yeah, so um, for undergrads, mm -hmm. <laughs> usually it's storm chasing. We're in the middle of Kansas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Storms I, I, oh, I can see that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that's, you know, that is usually the draw initially, right? Um, and, you know, that's, you get the foot in the door. And yeah. just like me, like, I didn't even think this was a career opportunity, right? I was like, oh, I'm, I like the weather. I like looking at, you know, the weather channel was just, you know, becoming big when I was younger. Yeah. Um, and a lot of our students were interested in that, right? Or forecasting or something, or on air. We actually have a lot of, uh, of, our, of our alumni are on air um, doing, doing meteorology yeah. sure. um, on TV and the radio. And so that's usually the draw um, of getting people, you know, here. And then once they actually start seeing all these different opportunities that are that are within our field, where not just forecasting but climate and research and you know environmental applications as well, um, that's where it's like oh maybe I can do this other stuff right, mm -hmm. um, and then it becomes pretty broad um, as far as what people end up doing. Yeah. yeah. Well, Dave, that, that's a good place for us to take a break. You're listening to Eco Radio KC on KKFI 90.1 FM, Kansas City Community Radio. We'll be right back. Hi folks, I'm Mike. And I'm Mark Salmonella. We're all about recycling, reusing, and you know, just keeping our rivers and streams clean. We were out scooping stuff from the Call River with our senior class and found some barely dead fish. Mark, you mean reusable food. Oh yeah, on a sandbar near Lawrence. And now, we're proud owners of Mike and Mark's nearly fresh frozen fish. We specialize in floating carp. And you should specialize in Shots in the Night Radio Theater. Every second Thursday of each month at 7 p.m. Did you miss your favorite show on KKFI this week? Check out our two-week archive. You can find it by searching online with the keywords KKFI Archive or direct your browser to archive.kkfi.org. We don't have time for our calendar this week, but you can find it on our Eco Radio Facebook page. Welcome back to Eco Radio KC. We're talking about climate science that's being done at the University of Kansas Department of Geography and Atmospheric Science with uh, Professor Dave Ron. Yeah, so so COP 28's underway right now. Mm, you know, yeah. it's half, halfway through. Yeah. What what do you follow that? Do, do do students here are they tapped into that or is that just some abstraction? Yeah, it's loosely, right? I mean, it's kind of at the other end. It's almost. Top, I don't want to say top down, but I know community organizations and other things are involved in that. But when you have, you know, the leaders of that saying things that are kind of antithetical to what people are doing on the ground, there, there's some some issue there, right? Um, and you know, I think that there's a lot of different places um, and a lot of different groups that are all trying to work towards some, you know, solution, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that whole ecosystem, as far as all these groups working together. Um, is complicated, right? Um, and I think that, you know, as long as people find a way to at least, you know, even if it is just locally to participate and to do something um, on a local scale, um, I think that that is a good thing, right? Um, because sometimes I think people feel overwhelmed with all of these different things going on, these different groups, these different messages, um, almost, you know, super pessimistic views that are <laughs> that also take toll on, on kind of the mental health if you're really concerned about this and you're just hearing doom and gloom all the time you know if you hear that too much you're gonna just stop doing anything because you you know fall into despair you say like, oh, I can't do anything <laughs> um, and you know I, I think that that that's a thing that happens in a lot of these environmental justice and climate justice groups is that you, you have that and from a student standpoint there's so much energy there too that they want to do like the you know 
do something to, to, to help or, or to at least understand and to advocate and to you know create these climate action plans and to have input on that to be involved and I think a lot of those are at the kind of local small scale level where where you, you know you can change it on your scale if there's lots of little groups that change it in lots of different places you know that I think is where you can you can yeah, move I, towards real change philosophically I'm, I'm with you on that. yeah <laughs> Have concerns yeah. globally, but act locally. Yeah, yeah, it's an old, it's nothing new, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So have, have you seen a lot of issues, mental health issues with your students from climate despair? Or, or I suppose COVID took its toll as There's well. a lot of pressures. Yeah, yeah a lot of pressures. <laughs> That's a good way yeah, to put it. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, so, yes, but there's a lot of optimism too. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we, we've had um, some climate, um, I forget what it was called, the climate... Um, yeah, it was like last year and the year before that, um, like climate symposium or something that we had here in Lawrence, um, you know, with a lot of, of these climate justice groups and, and, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and, and from Kansas City and, yeah. and from the area yeah. here. Yeah, the Brazilian activist group was yeah. part of that. Yeah, I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's recognized and you know, we do have to make sure we take care of ourselves. Otherwise, we get burnt out and we don't do anything, yeah. right? And that's at all levels too. Like mm-hmm. even faculty, you know, we have to maintain some balance there too to, to kind of keep keep at it um, but you know I, I I'm still optimistic um, yeah. you know it's all the doom and gloom out there and you know you read a paper like that and it's like oh my god yeah. we're you know headed for disaster but you know there's always these these you know um, glimmers of hope that yeah actually it, it's not as bad as it could have been actually and there's some evidence for that too there, there's not as bad as it could be right now, but we still have to act, and it's still a really pressing issue. Um, and you know, time is running out of the sense that we should do things really quickly. Um, and I think that we are, you know, moving in that direction, especially, you know, as as these these groups and these climate action plans are are kind of taking shape. And it's still, you know, it takes a while to, yeah. to have these things, you know, kind of develop and and to to get better. Too, yeah. Because the the first drafts that we've had, they're good, but then every time we revisit and revise, it gets better and better, especially because we need actionable things um, that are more than just statements or more than, you know, words on a page. They have to actually have, um, you know, they have to affect change. Um, and, you know, just seeing all the students that we have and, and all mm-hmm. of the energy there, um, I think that there's... Um, a lot of movement in the right direction. Good. Yeah, I know that the Sunrise Movement is pretty yes. pretty yep. popular yep. here in Lawrence, yep. and That's a lot right. of KU students, mm-hmm. I suppose some of your students are yep. a part of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Is your program pretty diverse? I saw a lot of posters mm-hmm. as I walked through the <laughs> physics department. You know, they're really yeah. trying to highlight women in physics yeah. and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're always striving for better, right? Yeah. Um, but I think we're getting there, especially because you know, this affects, um, you know, groups that, that are traditionally underrepresented in yeah. our field. And, Everyone. And, yeah. yeah. So and, everybody and, needs to contribute to yeah. the solution. Yeah. And I think that especially in, in some of those things, um, like, there's a lot of, um, you know, energy to, to really, you know, climate justice isn't, isn't a kind of a made-up word. Like, the, climate justice is about justice, too, because often the people that are, you know, overburdened are overburdened for many different things, like economically, socially, um, you know, and there's a whole history in Kansas City about the redlining and all the mm-hmm. other, um, you know, horrible practices that have been along and how that affects people to, to neighborhoods to this day. Sure. Um, and so there's a lot of momentum to try to, you know, try to equalize everything and, and to to um, you know yeah. um, improve a lot of different things in that area. Yeah. So. so I saw that you've got a, a climate change certificate yes. program yeah, that's yeah. part of your undergrad. Mm-hmm. And is that for, so it's something sort of slightly less than a minor in, in atmospheric science? Yes. So someone yeah. that was taking engineering or something and yes. wanted to, to, mm-hmm. to do that, it's like a 12, 12 credit hour program? Yes. Yeah, so you don't have to go through all of the rigor because one of the biggest um, kind of roadblocks that in, in our discipline is trying to get through all of the math and the physics. It's, you know, it's a quantitative science, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so for the full majors, you, you do all of that. For the certificate, um, it's nice because you, you get to do enough of that to have the quantitative skill. But then also um, take other classes, especially some environmental science classes, 
to understand policy, climate policy, so you can talk so you can talk that part of it and have that science enough of a science background that you know those basic physical concepts. Yeah. Um, and so it's designed to to be able to you know incorporate those two things from a you know specific climate um, you know viewpoint to be able to you know a business person could use it an engineer could use it. Um, anybody across the campus that is interested in those topics that, you know, there's a lot of overlap. Environmental engineering is a thing, right? And yeah. so there's a lot of, um, you know, ways that people would benefit from taking that as a certificate. Um, so you can actually get those two perspectives, both the quantitative and also like how would that relate to policy um, and other things too. I, I kind of frame it in those two because, you know, having the science understanding is, is important and so is the policy and the action part of it as well yeah um, and understanding the issues from from both of those kind of perspectives and do, do you give lectures that are open to the public or open to other um, school yeah other colleges we have a variety of ways for outreach um, so we have our like internal colloquium and seminars which are open to the public and we have those announced uh, we do stuff outside of the university too we do different talks I've given lots of talks about the urban heat island and various areas, um, you know, both here and also in Kansas City. Um, and so, yeah, we've done a lot. We've done um, Science on Tap, where you, got, you know, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you, yeah. yeah. I've been so, before. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, and so, yeah, we, we try to do that. Um, and then, you know, a while back, there was um, a couple of people um, did across Kansas. They actually went across with climate change in Kansas. Um, you know, with their with their report um, to really communicate and connect with communities that are you know usually can't make it down over on this side to Lawrence. So, no, I hadn't um, heard about all the way out to west. Yeah, that's great. Um, so yeah, we, we try to do as much as we can with that, um, and you know we're usually open to you know talking to, to any any groups or you know any kind of outlets um, whenever we, we can find the time. Right. <laughs> Well, if somebody is interested in your program or more information, yeah. where, where would they go? Do you have websites? Yeah, so if you do uh, KU Atmospheric Science or KU Geography, it'll get to the same place. Um, and we have a faculty list with our emails on there that you can contact. Um, and then KU also has um, information there um, that they can, you know, it's, um, I forgot what the current name of it is, um, but you can find information there. Uh, and then some of us are part of other networks too. Um, so I'm part of the Moving Forward Network and um, SciCan, which are both ways that um, they try to connect um, academics with people on the ground. Um, and so I'm involved a lot with community groups and, and that sort of a thing. SciCan is out of Kansas? Um, yeah, it was created by, um, it's, it's a national thing, um, but one of the leaders from uh, the environment, this Beto, I don't know if you know Beto Lugo Martinez, uh, Clean Air Now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, do, I, I know who Yeah, so he was one of the, with mm -hmm. Elizabeth Friedman from Children's Mercy Hospital too. Um, so they have this network where you can connect academics, you know, whether it's health professionals or just kind of in universities, to, um, to, to people. Um, and so there's... That's another outlet that, that you can look for, you know, oh, this guy is an expert in whatever, and so you can, you can you know, contact and, and talk. Um, and, you know, as I get farther and farther in my career, you know, I started with shallow water dynamics, <laughs> right? And now I'm, I'm trying to be, you know, more thoughtful and impactful in, in my work. Um, and I think a lot of us are trying to go in that direction to make sure that what we do doesn't, doesn't just stay in academia, but it actually has real implications and broader impacts on, on you know, our world for the good, right? <laughs> um, and I think it's an important thing that a lot of us are trying to do um, and, and looking for ways to, to actually go about doing that. Well, Dave, thank you for this uh, good information and educational for me and yeah. inspiring. You know, I'm glad to see that we've got so much going on here locally. And yeah. I, I'm sure every big university has a similar program, or many do, but yeah, I think that, that you've got a great thing going here, so that was my pleasure. what you're doing. Yeah, my right. pleasure, it was great talking to you. All right. Hi, this is Mark Manning. For local and new releases and a mix of all genre, for interviews with artists, musicians, and writers, for freeform radio that plays with themes, questions, and events, tune in to Wednesday Midday Medley, Wednesdays from 10 to noon, right here on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio.
KKFI is emptying out our closet, and you can help us. Most items in our prize closet are at a discounted donation. Who wouldn't want a cool KKFI hoodie to keep warm this winter? Or a cool pint glass to stuff in a stocking? Go to www.kkfi.org to find out more. Supplies and sizes are limited. And don't forget to use code FREESHIP at checkout for free shipping. Thank you for supporting your community radio station. My name is Darnell. At the end of our hour, here's some environmental news for the week of December 11, 2023. Inside Climate News reports. House Speaker Mike Johnson of Louisiana hasn't held his new title for long, but he is already trying to slash key legislation enacted in the Biden administration. The first bill passed in the House under the leadership of the Louisiana Republican aimed to gut the 2022 Inflation Reduction Act, which included nearly $370 billion in climate and clean energy funding. It would also eliminate the president's justice. 40 initiative, which mandates that at least 40% of all the overall benefits from federal climate and infrastructure investment go to underserved communities that have historically borne the brunt of pollution and climate change impacts. Fortunately, the bill lacks sufficient congressional support to pass. Natural gas may be on the way out of Massachusetts. State utility regulators issued a ruling that sets a framework for reducing the use of gas for heating as part of a large strategy to address climate change. Massachusetts is the first state to take such a clear step to phase out natural gas, but it likely won't be the last. At least 11 other states and Washington, D.C. have ongoing regulatory cases that are exploring the future of natural gas. A study released on the eve of the COP28 conference found that 8 million people around the world die annually from air pollution. Experts say the crisis is worsening. Those deaths disproportionately affect low-income communities and people of color who are often compelled to live in areas where air quality is worse than their wealthier and white counterparts. The COP conference began November 30th and ends on December 13th. The Kansas Reflector reports the federal farm bill plowed about two-thirds of crop subsidies into feed grains for livestock despite the U.S. Department of Agriculture's recommendation that half a person's diet features fruits and vegetables. Less than one percent of the federal farm bill subsidies go for primary sources of healthier food. Congress is expected to complete a rewrite of the five-year law in 2023. New York Times reports, Bayer is paying billions of dollars to settle claims that its weed killer Roundup caused cancer. Reports of a slowdown in electric vehicle sales have been greatly exaggerated. Anthropocene Newsletter reports, for decades, fossil fuel corporation and others with a stake in a continued fossil fuel economy has worked to sow doubt about the reality of climate change and the feasibility of addressing it. This disinformation campaign has had an effect. To counter this, you can make sure your climate message includes the following. Strong scientific consensus about the reality of human-caused climate change. Trustworthiness of scientists who prepare international climate reports and suggest strategies to fight climate change. Transparency about the pros and cons of climate action. The strong moral case for climate action. The importance of carefully judging the accuracy of online information and the positive emotions that comes from climate action. This is easy to do. Climate news practically writes itself. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. Please tune in again next week or listen to our podcast at any time. Thank you for listening to Eco Radio KC on KKFI 
90.1 FM, Kansas City Community Radio. Eco Radio is brought to you each week by a team of collaborators, including me, Craig Lugo, Terry Wilking, Brent Rysdale, Bob Grove, and Dave Mitchell. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and guests and not of KKFI and or the Midcoast Media Project. You can find our calendar and a podcast of each show on Eco Radio KC's Facebook page, as well as on our show page at kkfi.org. This is Richard Mabian, and you can send inquiries and comments to our email at kkfi.org forward slash contact or message us on our Facebook page. Up next is Fiesta Musicale, followed by Noche Magica. Our outro music is Big Yellow Taxi by Joni Mitchell. Don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you've got till it's gone Ooh.